In the reading corner today, I'm really thrilled to be welcoming Chella Quint, whose new book, Own Your Period, will be published by Quarto in September 21. The reason I'm so excited to be welcoming Chella is because thinking back to my own teen years, there was nothing like this book available. And as I was consulting with her prior to our recording, I mentioned that we even referred to periods as your curse. Nothing could be further from Chella's approach to dealing with this subject. And so I'd really love to welcome her this morning. Hello. So Chella, to get us going, I wonder if we we could first of all delve a little bit into your background, because I understand that this was the subject of your university research. Now, when did you start thinking about periods needing attention? And second to that, what was the basis for your research? I had terrible fears about periods from my first period until I was in my 20s. But I woke up one morning and didn't know when my period was due and realized I should start tracking my cycle. And then thought I should make this elaborate cycle chart. Um, You know, I thought for my whole life, for the rest of my monovulatory span, I will create a chart per year. I'll turn it into a lovely little book or a zine or something. And maybe I could um, I could share it with people. And um, I decided my half term project that year would be to just for myself to make a little fanzine all about periods. That was a cycle chart. So it would be a 10 year cycle chart. And that, that way I'd always have it. And so I I started putting this together. I interviewed my mom. I interviewed my sister. I put a call out for lots of stories. And then I finished the zine. But then more replies kept coming in. And I realized I might need to do a second issue. So over my summer holidays, I wrote, I mean, I think, so, so, you know, I'm allergic to gin. I've always said that because I'm allergic to gin, I'm allergic to juniper. I don't, you know, go, you know, for a drink after work. So I had to find another activity that, you know, would take the edge off. And I decided for me, it was stand-up comedy. So in my holidays, I would do kind of nerdy open mic nights and sort of punk rock science themed comedy club nights and things. And I sort of incorporated this ad hoc period research into this this performance. And so I created a fanzine called Adventures in Menstruating. And I discovered this archive of vintage ads uh, up till the 50s that were for all different types of products. But the menstrual product ads were just I was just absolutely struck by the sexism, the language use, the really obvious hard sell persuasion that periods were terrible, leaking was terrible, showing your products at all was the worst thing ever, and that these companies could save you, you know, not just save you from embarrassment, but they used language like horror and secrecy and fear. And that language sort of echoed up through the ages into the kind of period talk that I had when I was at school. Mm. And I wanted to do something about it. Meanwhile, at my school, they were starting to develop um, a new curriculum model that would allow for distinct PSHE lessons with a PSHE team. And they asked me if I wanted to be on it. And I did. And eventually I ended up becoming the head of PSHE. So all of this sort of coalesced into one day me actually sort of saying to my head teacher, by the way, I do this comedy show about periods. Uh, Is it, you know, is that okay with you? And they were delighted. They all, the whole senior leadership team just thought this was fantastic. And they had no problem with me bringing it into school 
as part of my master's research. I was doing a part-time master's um, on, on literacy, and I started to focus my dissertation on menstrual literacy and menstruation education. So for my preparatory work, I interviewed primary school teachers on how they delivered the period talk. And their experiences were really similar to mine. Only the girls got the talk. Usually a visitor came in or a very nervous teacher came in. And I started asking them about, was the person that taught you confident and knowledgeable? And I realized that if if the way you learned about periods was from someone who didn't seem confident or didn't seem knowledgeable, it almost didn't matter what your first period experience was like or whether you had periods at all. The way that you could be sort of imbued with a, a, a sort of good foundation in menstrual confidence was whether anyone seemed confident when they told you and whether you could trust what they said. And because of this comedy stuff I was doing, I was sort of starting to feel more enlightened about it. And I had this period horror story myself when I was a kid. I was at a slumber party. There was a blizzard. I talk about it in the book, but it, it didn't end well. So it took me a really long time to get over it. But what helped was using comedy, making up silly songs, um, getting the audience to do arts and crafts with me at my shows. And I wanted to see if that would work with pupils. Uh, and I thought if I could create some lesson plans and sort of a learning lab with, with a class of students, we could take this back to other teachers, let them try it, see if it worked for them. Um, and it worked. I became a member of the Society for Menstrual Cycle Research, and I was actually uh, their keynote speaker before I even started doing my own research because I performed for them. And that's how I sort of fell in with this, this menstrual research community, which was wonderfully supportive for, for doing my master's. I have to say that this really underpins what this book does. Humour is a serious thing. It allows us to talk about serious things and get deeper, probably, than if we were too serious about it. But it's also incredibly knowledgeable. And the fact that you went off and did you know, further research and are obviously still researching. I mean, that's what comes through in this book, Own Your Period, as well. It is so well informed. Uh, let's go on to the book, uh, Chella. Tell us a bit about uh, it's own your period. And you've left nothing out as far as I can see anyway. You've certainly covered areas that I didn't know anything about. So tell us something about the structure uh, of the book and some of the themes that come through that you think are particularly important, and perhaps haven't been dealt with before. I first wanted to reassure kids that anyone could read this book, that it might be directed at period owners but if someone else happened to pick it up who didn't have periods and wasn't ever going to they should definitely feel they could read it too um, and I also wanted to include little stories about my sort of errors growing up like anytime I had a little epiphany or got something terribly wrong or was worried about something I wanted to share not just what the problem was but also how I eventually solved it or had helped to solve it because I wanted kids to have a peer as well, you know, sort of talking to them about it. So there are very, very much elements of 12-year-old me chatting to them throughout the book. But also, I thought some really silly things. And I thought they'd really appreciate hearing about it. Like, I, I didn't know what blood clots were in your period. And, you know, they look like bits of jelly. And I was terrified at first. I Because to me, it sort of looked like a liver. You know, I couldn't think of any bodily organ that it could possibly be. And I decided my liver must be falling out. 
And I was really panicked, but we managed to, to turn that into a little doodle that um, the illustrator, Giovanna Madeiras, did a great job at of a liver organ, sort of a cartoon liver, just sort of leaving with a little suitcase. <laughs> and I think it was important to me to include things like that throughout. But it was also important to me to include little bits throughout of things you could do. So there are activity suggestions throughout the book as well that are just sort of peppered about, particularly the later on you get in the book, things you can do at home, things you can do at the shops, like, you know, do a like a visual survey of all the products available, interviewing like an older relative about their experience and attitude toward periods. Um, and even like things you could do if you wanted to lead a class activity yourself or ask your teacher to. That sort of comes as the book goes on. But it was important to me to start the book with the absolute basics, naming external genitalia, explaining the internal organs, talking about hormones and how hormones and glands work, the phases of the menstrual cycle, the, like the absolute bare minimum stuff that you should learn maybe in science or in any period book, but sort of done in, in my style. And that there were sort of extra bits that were like food for thought, like mentioning that a uterus is actually a lot smaller than you think, definitely smaller than any diagram would show it. And then we go on to how to manage periods. So a lot of schools focus on just how to use a pad or tampon or what they look like or how to ask for one or where to get one. But they don't really talk about the other aspects of managing periods, which are sort of, you know, charting your cycle so that you know when your periods do learning to notice signs of ovulation just for yourself, not because you are concerned about your fertility right then, but just so you know that you have a cycle that lasts longer than just the week of your period. And also managing periods includes looking after your general you know, health and diet and exercise and sleep, um, talking to people if you think there's a problem and learning how to talk to people. And then the other aspect of managing periods is taking responsibility for your choices so knowing that if you choose disposable menstrual products, there's a cost and an environmental implication. If you use reusable products, um, there are some benefits to that around, you know, sustainability, but also comfort. So finding out of as much as you can was sort of what that middle section is about. And that all is under the umbrella of managing. And then the third section is about period positivity, which is a phrase I coined when I first started this project, so like 2005, I wrote my first fanzine. 2006, when I was sort of touring it, I was saying this is a period positive workshop. And it was sort of meant to follow the lines of body positive and sex positive. But it's meant to be inclusive. So, you know, like all genders can talk about periods. Any ability, you know, is suited to talking about managing menstruation and the, the finer points of it. And it's also, it's it's not corporate you know period positivity is about reclaiming the language and practice of talking about menstruation from the advertisers that have sort of dominated the discourse for so long because people were so embarrassed one of the things that I really loved um, in the book is as well as the period and the menstrual cycle you deal with the much biggest reproductive cycle as well and I loved the notion that you are there in your grandmother's womb that you took it to that level and then right at the other end you know this discussion about the whole transition of menopause so there's a big picture here as well mm. and it's literally a big picture you sort of see this 
timeline over two spreads of the book where you do go from the idea of being an egg right up until the menopause transition and defining perimenopause and menopause and postmenopause. Like one thing that I didn't realize before I wrote the book was that menopause is just the moment period stop and perimenopause is all the symptoms. So people don't realize how long they're in perimenopause or, you know, that it starts earlier than the day your periods stop. And the symptoms can continue afterward as, you know, hormones change and your body system sort of recalibrate. But the way it's defined, I just thought kids would find that interesting. But for any kids whose parents or teachers are going through the menopause, it was super important for me to include that because this is a part of their universe. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just about preparing them for what's coming you know, in 30 or 40 years time, but also about explaining to them where they fit in, in this whole process. So I think a lot of period books and a lot of, um, you know, school education leaflets sort of make puberty this hard start of, you know, this is your period, like menarche is, the word menarche makes me laugh because it's, it always sounds like anarchy to me, you know, (laughs) and that's sort of how puberty is presented. Like, you know, you don't know when it's coming and you don't know what it'll be like, but everything's going to be really horrible for a little while. And the menopause is presented that way too. You know, you don't know when it's coming. (laughs) You don't know what it'll be like, but it's going to be horrible for a while, you know, and there's nothing you can do about it when that's not true at all. There's loads you can do, but because of stigma, people don't talk to their doctors necessarily. And that's true for kids. A lot of school absences, it was discovered in a piece of research done in Bolton in 2010 by a GP's trust that um, a lot of school absences were down to kids having menstrual issues that weren't necessarily medical problems. They were more down to worries and fears that kids weren't actually sure how to deal with. And the recommendation was to teach about menstruation better so that kids would know how to talk about it with a doctor or a parent when there was a, you know, a cause for concern or a potential medical issue, but also how to deal with you know, the aches and pains and fears and worries and just knowing what periods feel like and what's normal and what isn't for them Mm -hmm. so that they would feel more comfortable coming to school and and addressing in school. But it was essential for me that that readers realize that they are they have been going through a growing up process already for a really long time and they're already really good at it. I think at every opportunity to throw in a little bit more information, I managed to get get permission from the editors to squeeze some in mm-hmm. because I know that those those kids that I worked with wanted to know everything. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't doubt that that other kids would, too. And I I felt like all of it was left out when I was a kid. You know, when I was an adult, every experience I had that had to do with menstruation or fertility or menopause, like anything I read in an article, any interaction I had with anybody older than me. I was, my mind was completely blown. And I was just like, why didn't I learn about this? Or I can't believe I didn't know this. Or I was today years old when I found that out. And I don't want kids to have that experience. So I just, I just managed to squeeze everything in. And I think the final section on period positivity was the most important to me because that was the results of the research. And so starting with the advertising history and the taboos and the myths and busting those and helping kids see where any negativity came from, like from, you know, older generations and where it might be sort of still lingering in them was important for helping them subvert it. And then the final bit of the book is, you know, how to talk about periods, how to navigate talking about periods at school, how to do arts and crafts and like craftivism to reclaim 
menstrual fear. And then it actually ends with the period positive pledge, which was the final output of the research, sort of what schools and other organizations should do to make sure that their work is fact-checked, inclusive, cite sources, is, you know, continually updated to be accurate, and just is generally savvy to the fact that we are behind on this and we need to improve rapidly. So the Period Positive Pledge adult version exists on my website, but the kid version is only a sentence or two for each pledge. And the editorial team helped me convert it into kid-friendly language. And that's now up in schools. And I'm so excited that doing this book helped me to be able to share that message, which was originally for the adults with the kids themselves. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to come to that actually and talk a little bit more about the period positive awards and what schools can do to make this a good experience for young people, because they're they're two sides of the same coin. You need to get them both right, don't you? Absolutely. I always say that um, everyone from the head teacher and chair of governors to the canteen staff and like the lollipop lady should be able to answer a kid's question about periods if it comes up. Because if they need to know something in that moment, or even if it just occurs to them, that's a teachable moment. And if you are shocked or act disgusted or put them off it's it's like what happens when you put off a question about sex you know it might not be the most opportune moment but it can give the impression that that's not a topic that they're allowed to talk about or a thing that's bad and it sort of adds to the stigma of periods by sort of saying you know we don't talk about that here or you know ask your parents or I'm not going to talk about that in public or you know any, anything like that so what I say for schools is you should do a basic period catch-up session with everyone. Uh, like I, I call it um, menstruation 101, everything you should have learned at school, but probably didn't because that way everyone's on the same page, but talking about the advertising and thinking about your own experience and your own memories. So, you know, like I often show uh, kids and younger teachers, the looped pad and belt um, that people use like sort of, you know, from the fifties up to the eighties, because people can't believe it when they see it, they consider it like a contraption, but actually it was, both reusable and disposable. So it was a little bit more eco-friendly than most of the stuff that people grew up with nowadays. Um, and I show them all reusable menstrual products. I have people try on like a, an example loop pad and belt over their jeans and they always find it hysterical. Um, but it's important to sort of show the history of how these products developed. But also it's important to talk to people about how we used reusable products up until a hundred years ago. This is a new invention and it's still evolving. It has no business sort of infiltrating the way we talk about our, our bodies and our health. There shouldn't be the, a, such a focus on discretion and hiding leaks because hiding leaks is what makes staff and students so fearful about periods at school. And the best way to deal with that is to talk about why it happened and stop repeating the patterns that have embedded that fear in our, in our culture. Mm -hmm. um, and it's true in every culture. Every culture has over time, either celebrated periods or been afraid of periods. Like nobody can decide. And it's really important to remember that, you know, kids and parents coming from outside the UK have also got the same issues as people in the UK. Like I work with a colleague in Kenya as part of the wider period positive global network, who was also annoyed that their government had a lot of influence from Procter and Gamble when looking at period poverty. And so does ours. You know, they they have no business 
running the the period poverty scheme or even co-running it because that's again like you know influencing pupils menstrual product companies want to sell menstrual products i want my kids to learn you know when i was out of pshe i made really sure that they knew that some products came from companies that were more and less ethical that some products you could make at home and i started developing a lesson with a textiles teacher on how to make cloth pads and how period pants are made because these are really useful products. Period pants are like a really great innovation. And they're like the first innovation in, in menstrual product design in decades. And they're so valuable because they're easy to use. They are you know, easy to wash and they um, make managing menstruation a lot less complicated than it was when I was learning about it. But most adults you talk to have never heard of them, you know, or are not sure how to try them out or which brands, you know, work or what to look for. And so what I wanted to do was teach teachers how to teach kids how to manage these kinds of questions and in investigations themselves. I also want schools to feel that they can keep learning and keep developing stuff and share it. So I've developed a program of study for schools about periods that's on my website, but I've also vetted it with lots of other teachers and, um, and medical colleagues. And it was even presented at the APPG on Women's Health in Parliament in 2018 but it, it needs populating. And I know there are teachers already doing great stuff. And I know there are parents coming up with really lovely ways to talk to their kids about periods. And that stuff could be some lovely lessons that, you know, in my sort of vision of the near future, we're doing curriculum jams where teachers that want to participate come along or, you know, join online and create a lesson that meets some of the standards in the curriculum model that I developed that looks just like any other um, you know, national curriculum guide because of all the taboos, we didn't have, you know, a menstruation education history. It was either, you know, passed on between parent and child or, you know, passed on in communities or kind of shared by like, I guess from like the forties onward, a visitor who would come in, divide the boys and the girls, give you the leaflets and free samples and leave. So now if we're rewriting it, it's, you know, we do have to plonk down a new curriculum from scratch. We've got to create it. So I am looking for help from people to create it. But one thing that's been going really nicely about the um, the Period Positive Schools and Places Awards is that so many people already get it. They realize they're already meeting a lot of the criteria based on what they do. And there are only a few things they need to, to tweak or think about, you know, mm -hmm. like like kids being allowed to go to the toilet during lessons like all staff having a basic level of, of knowledge that they can share, um, like getting reusable products as well as disposables for the, the free periods program. All of these details can't just happen in a day, but they can happen a lot quicker than you think. I completely concur with that. <laughs> and uh, can we just mention that the website is periodpositive.com. And that should be a point of call for anybody that wants to find out more. Can they contact you via that website? They can. Yeah, there's a contact form. And I should also mention that I have just brought out an adult book about periods. It's called Be Period Positive. And because of publishing deadlines and COVID delays and the Suez Canal and furlough, it's actually been written later, but coming out sooner then own your period. But it's a uh, hundred questions and answers about everything from menarche to menopause and beyond. It's a really great primer for, for teachers and parents who are about to have 
the period talk or our planning lessons with with their pupils or their kids. And um, I really hope people enjoy it. They're really good companion pieces. People can also follow you on Period Positive, at Period Positive on On Twitter Twitter, and Period underscore Positive on Instagram. Uh, Thank you, Chella, for joining me today in the Reading Corner. Who would have known there would be so much to talk about? And even so, I know that we've only scratched the surface. People are just going to have to get Own Your Period to find out more Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's lovely. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.